Hey, good morning. So consider this. Uh, God has you exactly where you are right now because he wants you exactly where you are right now. Whether you like that or not, whether you understand why you're where you're at right now, God has you exactly where you are right now because it's exactly where he wants you right now. Now, for some of us, like we're kind of burdened with where we're at right now. Um, I, I know I, I've been burdened for the state of things uh, in our culture and in our country. Um, but, but even greater than that, I have just kind of been kind of concerned or, or maybe even in, in a space of, if I'm being honest, just a little bit of despair of where we're at um, as, as a people group. And, and I know that, that you have too because I've had conversations with you. you you've called me or we've sat out in, in the lobby and we've talked or we've met uh, at the mailbox and we've talked and we've just had fantastic conversations uh, about where, where we're at right now as a culture and where we're at as a society. And, and there's a lot of questions around it. And you know, some are just like, I don't know what to do. Kind of throw up our hands like, what, what's next? Like, what, what, what can we do right now? Where do we go from here? And some of the questions, man, that have been around and some that we've been asking in our house are just like, how do we raise kids right now? We have a 10-year-old who's about to turn 11. We have a, a son who just turned nine. We have a daughter who's eight. And we just think, uh, how are we supposed to bring up kids in a culture that just feels like it's falling apart morally, ethically, and spiritually? We're just trying to figure out, like, how do we do that? And you've had those questions too. And Ashley and I, we were sitting in our, or standing in our kitchen just last week and we're standing around the uh, the island there, and we're having a conversation about this kind of stuff, and we just wept, guys. Just, just stood there and wept over the state of things, and just trying to answer those questions, like, how do we bring our kids up in this? We wept for our kids, we wept for your kids, we wept for you, we wept for our country. And just trying to figure out, how, like, where do we go uh, from, from here right, right now? And throughout the last month, six months, throughout all the stuff that we've been going through recently, like, I feel like the Lord just keeps bringing me back to this idea of his sovereignty. Like, I don't have answers to all this. Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, how to, like, there's only so much wisdom that I carry in this nugget up here and, and trying to navigate through what, what our culture is and what our society is and trying to navigate through what's right and how do you move forward. Like, I, we've just kind of been in this, this place of, I feel like the Lord just keeps reminding me, like, you're not in control of anything. God is sovereignly in control of everything. So don't forget that. So in my quiet time, the Lord keeps taking me back there. In the things that I'm reading, he keeps taking me back there. And so just so we're on the same page, when we talk about sovereignty, what I mean by that is that God is just completely in control of all things at all times. There's nothing that's outside of his control, just so that we're on the same page. And it's easy to say that God's in control, but what do we mean that by God's in control uh, of everything? I was reading a book by Paul David Tripp uh, this week. Um, it's called uh, Lead. I'm actually getting ready to go through it with our elders, and I was kind of getting a sneak peek and starting to read ahead uh, a little bit. And, and he talked about sovereignty, and, and, and he explained sovereignty in a way that kind of fit in my mind. He said, if, if you have uh, your house, if I, if I invite you over to, to my house, and I offer you something to eat or offer you to drink or even offer to give you something out of my house, I have the freedom to do that because the house and everything inside of the house belongs to me. So I can give you anything. I can promise to give you anything. And as, as much as my wife will allow me to be, I, I'm in control of what's going on inside of my house. And there's boundaries to that, right? And, and so if we were to brush this over with, the, with a broad brush, we can say that I'm sovereign over my house and the things inside of my house. Now, that's not true of me if I come to your house, because we'd have some issues if I came to your house and I started giving away your stuff. And be like, hey, I promise you that you can have this food. I promise you you can have this couch. We're going to have some issues, right? You're going to be like, dude, why are you in my house giving away my stuff? Like, get out of my house. 
You can't give away my stuff like that because it's not mine. I'm not sovereign over your house. You're sovereign over your own house. I can only give you what I have control over. And I can only promise to give you what I have control over. That's sovereignty. That's sovereignty. Now, in the beginning, God says that he created the heavens and the earth, right? That means that he is sovereign over the entire house. That he's created all things and everything inside of his house, he is in complete control over. And if he promises something inside of the house, he has the power, authority, and the wisdom to bring about that thing that he actually promised to do, to bring about that thing that he promised not to do, to bring about the the ends to the goals that he has. He has the power, authority, and wisdom to do what he wants inside of his house because he is sovereignly in control of everything inside of that house. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, that brings up some questions then, if you're, if you're a thinking kind of a person. If God's sovereignly in control of, of all these things, then why do we feel the weight of everything that we see that ought not be right now? Why, why do you and I carry the weight of the things that are going on? Why do we look around and see weeping moms and dads who are trying to figure out, how do I raise my kids in this culture? Why do we look around and see people who are afraid to go to an inauguration in a country that we live in that's supposed to be full of freedom? Why do we look around and see pain and despair and the feelings that just seem so unbearable that it's so hard for us to bear up under the weight of? Why are there more people that are running after the things of the culture than there are more people, it seems, that are running after the things of God? Why is a sovereign God allowing these kinds of things to happen? And why do we feel the weight and the burden of all the things that are going on. Those are huge questions. Those are big questions that can make or break people, right? For some, those questions lead to this enormous amount of peace to know that God's in control. But for some, they don't have that peace. It brings pain. It brings despair. And if they're honest, it brings them to a point of rebellion that I don't want to have anything to do with a God who says he's sovereign over all things but would allow these kind of things to happen. And the easy answer that we can come up to with, with some of these questions is like sin, right? We can just say that sin, sin comes in and just completely wrecks everything, makes a mess out of everything, tells you that you can be satisfied in things that you'll never be satisfied, and sin just comes in and wrecks everything. But I think there's more to it th- than that. I-, I think what we're seeing is that people who aren't sovereign, right, that we're not sovereign over the whole house, we're trying to live and act like we're sovereign over the whole house, We don't have the weight and the say of what's going on inside the house when we don't own the things that are going on inside of the house. We're trying to make make moral, ethical, and spiritual decisions that we don't have the power, authority, or the wisdom to be making. And as a result, what we end up having is disappointment, anger, angst, fear begins to set in, and we get to this point of maybe even despair. And, and I think, too, beyond that, we also, I don't know if we fully understand God's sovereignty. Because what gets wrapped up in his sovereignty is his ability to control the outcomes or to see the outcomes that we can't even get our mind around. That somehow God is able to take pain, deep, deep-setting pain that goes on in our life. He's able to turn that and flip it up on the side of its head and somehow to bring about his purposes in that. That he can take not only that pain and bring purpose in the midst of our pain, but he can take these unwanted detours in our life, things like the COVID virus, things like riots, things like these questions that we're asking in our house. He's able to take those things, these detours that we would have never chosen in our lives, to take those and use those to bring us to the destination and desires that he has for our life. 
We can't wrap our mind around that. And so what gets wrapped up in his sovereignty is the ability that he can see things that we can't wrap our minds around. And when you begin to understand a little bit of his sovereignty, you can see that you don't have to understand the entire process in order to trust his promises. If he is sovereign over the whole house, you can trust that he's going to be able to give the promises, to fulfill the promise, and to accomplish the task that he set out for you and set out for the entire world. You don't have to understand the whole process of things in order to trust his promises. And so let me let, help us think about this again. You are where you are. We are where we are as a people and as a culture, living in this specific time in life with riots and protests and viruses and confusion and despair. We are living in the middle of all that because God has sovereignly put us here in this moment of time in 2021. And we may not particularly like it. <laughs> we may not fully understand it, but we're exactly where he wants us to be in this amount of time. And we can try, if we can try to wrap our mind around that sovereignty for just a few minutes, I think what we'll find is that it's actually comforting to understand that we're not in control and that he's in control. I think if we can wrap our mind around it, we might even be able to see that God has us just where we are and that we can get excited about where we are and, and living in the time that he has us right now for such a time as this. You are where you are because God wants you to be here. It's exactly part of his plan. And so what I want to do this morning is I, I want to tell you the story uh, of Esther. Maybe you're familiar with Esther's story. Maybe you've read about it. You've seen it in children's books. You heard about it growing up. And maybe you watched the movie when it went Hollywood, right? And so maybe you're a little bit familiar with it. I was trying to plan for 1 Corinthians 10. We're in a 1 Corinthians series. And every time that I sat down to work on 1 Corinthians 10 this week, like the Lord just wouldn't let me. So maybe it will come out next week. But he wouldn't let me do it. He just kept bringing my mind back to Esther. And so we're going into Esther uh, this morning. And, and if you're used to opening up your Bibles and just like, like digging down deep into something, um, that's my bent too. But this morning, I just want to tell you the story of Esther. And then when we get done, I'm going to call you into something that uh, James already uh, talked about this morning. We're going to talk about how do we put some of these truths that we see in Esther about God's sovereignty into practice for where we are as a people group right now and, and how we pray about what's going, on, what's going on in our culture. And so if you would, let's go ahead and pray right now before we jump in. Father, uh, thanks for the time that we have. Thanks that um, you go before us, you go behind us, you hem us in. There's nothing that we experience that you've not already seen or if we can allow our minds to see it, that you haven't allowed into our space so that you might bring us into detours that bring us into the destination that you have uh, for us. And so as we talk this morning, would you just show us a clear picture of your sovereignty? I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to keep in mind here that God works behind the scenes, right? God works in front of the scenes, but he also works behind the scenes to bring about his plans and his purposes. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of history here real quick. And in 587 B.C., before Christ came, right, Judah was ransacked and taken captive by the Babylonians. And this shouldn't have come as a surprise for them because God told them that was going to happen. If you continue to follow these false gods, if you continue not to repent, if you continue to just run after and do your own thing, then this is what's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to come in and you're going to be taken captive. And he gave them the timeline for how this would work. And so they didn't repent. They kept running after false gods. They, they didn't follow the ways of God. And so what happens is the Babylonians come in, completely ransack them, and take them captive. And they're in captivity for 70 years. Well, a little later in 539 BC, the Medo-Persians come in, 
led by Cyrus the Great, and they overthrow the Babylonian Empire. And the Persians did things a little bit differently than the Babylonians. The Persians allowed the exiled Jews and the exiled people they had, they had conquered to go back to their homeland. Well, not all the Jews ended up going back. Some of them decided, you know what, we've, we've already got families here. We've already been working here. It's been decades since we've been in captivity. So instead of going back, there were a lot of Jewish folks who decided to stay right there within the reach of the, of the Persian Empire or where, where exactly where they were instead of uh, going home. And so those Jewish folks were scattered amongst the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire, which was now under the reign of King Xerxes. Or you might hear it or see it in your scriptures as King Ahasuerus. I think that's how you say his name. Don't know for sure. But we're going to go with King Xerxes because it's easier to say, right? Uh, so King Xerxes. And that's where we pick up in the book of, of Esther here. That's where her story picks up. So King Xerxes, he's uh, throwing a, a week-long party. And he's, he wants to show off his success. He wants to show off his splendor. And so he brings everybody in. It's been going on for days and days and days, weeks and weeks. But he comes down to kind of like the last week of the party, and he brings everything in, and he pulls out all the stops. He's got all the lights lit up everywhere. It's gorgeous to display. Linens are everywhere. And listen, liquor is free-flowing. It's everywhere around the place. He brings in the best bartenders. He brings in the best wine dressers. There is wine unlimited. And so he tells the bartender, he says, give everybody exactly what they want. Don't hold anything back. If somebody comes and asks for it, you give it to them. Let them see the beauty of this land. Let them see the beauty of the Persian empire. And so even the king, the king was lit on this weekend, on the last day of this party. Three sheets to the wind. And so here comes Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti was a beautiful gal. She was his wife. She was the queen. And King Xerxes, one, on this particular evening where he's had a little bit too much to drink, he says, you know what? I want to bring my beautiful wife in and have her dance in front of everybody to show off her beauty and parade her around in front of all of my drunken friends. <laughs> well, that's what he was feeling. The queen wasn't feeling that at all. She says, no, I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? And, and, and so this doesn't, this doesn't go well with the king. And so he says, what are we supposed to do? We can't just let this happen. And so he gathers his, his councilmen together. And the councilmen said, you can't let this go on. You have to get rid of her because if you don't get rid of her, all the women in all of your empire are going to think that they can rise up and do whatever they want with their husbands. They don't have to obey their husbands anymore. And, and, and so because he's an insecure kind of dude, he's like, okay, we're going to get rid of Queen Vashti. And so he gets rid of the queen. And then... A little bit later, he begins to sober up, and he's missing the queen. And, and he says, where is Queen Vashti? And like, well, you got rid of her. But don't worry, because you, you can have way better, you can have so much better than her. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll, we'll go out, and we'll, we'll find you some new brides. We'll find you some new women uh, to come into your empire. And so they go out throughout all the, the provinces of the empire, and they start gathering the most beautiful women out of the country. And they put on what can only be described, I think, as kind of like a, a beauty school. They, they go and they do the whole regiment. They do nails and fing like fingernails and pedicures and makeup and skin treatments and hair. And Amy, like th this was Avon before Avon came about, right? Like, th like this was a deal. Like this was cosmetics for sure. It was happening here. Beauty on display. The, the most beautiful woman at the end of all these treatments then would become the, the queen, now, I want, you to, I want you to see, like, don't miss God's sovereignty in this, okay? This is his house. He's in control of everything inside of his house. At all times, there's nothing that gets missed inside of his house. So there's a, 
a beautiful young Jewish woman uh, who's living in one of these provinces. Her name is Esther. Esther was an orphan girl. Her mom and daddy had died. She didn't have anybody at the time. Mordecai was her older cousin. And so he says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to adopt you into my family. And so Esther becomes part of Mordecai's family. And she's one of those Jews who's decided to stay within the land and not go back to her homeland. And so Esther gets picked up by the beauty squad. And, and so right before she's getting ready to leave, Mordecai says, hey, don't tell them about your ethnicity. Don't tell them about where you come from. Don't tell them about who you are. Well, why wouldn't he want her to tell where she's from? Well, the Persian kingdom was to be led by the Persians. And so the king Xerxes needed a Persian queen. And so she wouldn't have been a candidate in order to be the queen if they knew that she was a Jew. And so he says, hold this back, conceal this for right now. But this is God's sovereignty at work here. He's always working behind the scenes to bring about his purposes, okay? So Esther, she quickly just becomes the belle of the ball. Everybody is infatuated with her. She not only is known for her beauty on the outside, but she's also known for her beauty that's on the inside. She is fantastic on the inside. Her character on the inside matches her face on the outside, and she wins the approval of of everyone. Now, again, I want you to hear God's sovereignty in this, okay? This is his house. He's in control of everything inside of his house. And any one of those gals from the beauty school could have become the next queen. But because God's favor, listen to me, God's favor was on Esther. King Xerxes then chose Esther to become his queen. And if you're paying attention at all, you're seeing that it's not happening by chance. Right? God is orchestrating this. He's orchestrating this great plan. Nobody else knows what's going on, but God knows exactly what's happening at the time. And so now you have the queen. She is uh, Esther. She's the queen of the land. She's married to the most powerful man in all the world right now, and she still hasn't concealed that she's a Jewish woman. Well, because of Mordecai, he hangs outside the king's palace, outside the king's gate, just to be close to what's going on with Esther because he wants to keep checking in with her to see what's going on. And so one day as he's sitting outside the gate, he hears these two dudes who are talking. And as they're talking, they're conspiring about assassinating the king. They're putting together a plot and a plan to go in and take out the king. Well, she hears about this, or Mordecai hears about this and says, this can't happen. And so he runs to Esther as fast as he can, and he tells her about what's going on, about this assassination plan. And so she goes and she tells the king on Mordecai's behalf. And so these two guys are brought in and they are hung on the gallows. Their life ended for their crimes. Now listen to this. This would make probably most of us mad here. Mordecai gets zero recognition at the time. He gets no medal of honor for his deeds. He gets no name in the lights. He doesn't get his name written down in splendor anywhere at this time that they know about. Okay? He gets no recognition at all. And so on the surface, it doesn't look like anybody even cares. And here's the deal. Here's a principle I think that we can apply to our lives, right? That when we don't see God at work or when we don't perceive to see God at work, we often assume that he's not at work or that he doesn't care to do work on our behalf or he doesn't have the ability or the sovereignty to actually stop what's going on if he could stop it. But remember, this is his house. He's sovereign over everything inside of his house. And so nothing inside of his house goes unnoticed. And so we can't make the nearsighted uh, assumption that just because he doesn't show up the way that we want him to show up, when we want him to show up, and how we want him to show up, it doesn't mean that he's no longer sovereignly in control of everything inside of his house. It's just not the end of the story yet. So there's this fellow, Haman, who can't stand Mordecai. Like, Haman gets promoted 
He becomes like, uh, I don't know, some big wig in the palace. Gets a little bit of esteem, starts to read the press about himself. He starts to get let all that stuff go to his head. And so everybody's got to bow down to Haman. But Mordecai doesn't bow down. And Haman can't stand it. And so he hates Mordecai. And he finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. And he hates him even more. And so he decides that he's going to kill Mordecai. And not only is he going to kill Mordecai, but he's going to take out the entire Jewish population that are within his empire. The whole plan for him is to literally wipe out the entire ethnic group of the Jews because Mordecai won't bow down to him. You want to talk about a power trip. This guy's losing his mind. But he concocts a, a plan, a lie, to go over to the king and tell him what's going on. And he tells King Xerxes, hey, don't you know that it would be so much better for us Persians if the Jews weren't here? Don't you know that it would be so much better? It, it, it would be so much more um, uh, uh, fruitful for you, king, if these Jews weren't around. So let's go ahead and wipe them out. It's in your best interest to get rid of them because they don't listen to you. They don't bow down to me. They, 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 they do things that they ought not do in your kingdom. They're a threat and a nuisance to you, so let's get rid of them. And guess what? You don't even have to spend any more time thinking about it, King Xerxes. I'll take care of myself. You don't even have to pay for it. I'll pull out my wallet, out of my bank account, and I will pay for every last bit of it. And you don't have to spend a dime on it. I'll round them up, I'll pay the bill, and I'll make sure that every single last one of them is gone. And so the king says, okay. He takes the signet ring that bears his authority, that bears his signature, his sign, the sign of his power and authority, the symbol of his sovereignty over his nation, thinking that he's sovereign over everything. Yet, God's sovereignty will always surpass anybody who thinks they have sovereignty over anything. God is always sovereign over everything because everything is within his house. The Persian Empire was within the house of God. And so God is sovereign over what's going on. This is not going past his view. The fact that the Jews are on the docket to have their life ended right now is not somehow passing his mental capacity to understand what's going on. He sees it happening. So Haman writes the law, signs it as the king, and he posts it around all 127 provinces of the empire. Every Jew to be killed on the exact same day. Here's how it read. Destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jewish people, young and old, women and children, and plunder their possessions on a single day the 13th day of Adar, the 12th month, everybody to be murdered out in the streets on the exact same day of the month. Can you imagine waking up and walking down the road and seeing that sign? Can you imagine young moms walking with your, your young daughter in your hands and you're walking down the street and you see a sign posted there about what's getting ready to go down? Imagine taking your, your grandma to, to, the, to the marketplace, the same marketplace that you've taken her for the past 24 years so that she can get the, the groceries that she needs and you see the community, the same community that you've been act, interacting with for, for so long and then you look up and you see posted on the wall your death certificate signed and you see the death certificate of all your people. The despair that you would feel in that moment, the, the weight to try to bear up from underneath of, the burden and the weight of this would be so heavy to bear. And the qu questions would begin to roll. What, are, what do we do? Where do we, where do we go from here? The government's against us, and if the government is against us, and they're going to wipe us out, everybody around us and our citizenship is going to be against us as well. Does that sound familiar to anybody over the past six months? Does that sound familiar to you? If God is sovereignly in control of all things, 
and we're his people, then why is this happening? And why is this happening right now? And every one of us who are thinking in our right minds would say, this isn't right. This is not okay. It's not okay to treat people like this. And you'd be asking the question, why would God let this go on? Why isn't God doing anything to to stop this right now? Why is evil going to look like it's going to keep winning? Why is the government allowed to crush people? What can we do? How can we stop this? See, when we look around and we don't perceive that God is at work, and we look around and we don't see God at work, we often assume that he's not or that he doesn't care or that he's somehow no longer sovereign over the things that he said he was sovereign over. And if he's sovereign over things that he doesn't somehow have the ability to stop the things if he wanted to stop them. Or even worse yet, that he's seditious and that he likes it, that he likes to see his people in pain. He likes to keep people in this scenario. But remember, this is his house. He is sovereign over everything inside of his house, and nothing goes unnoticed. And so we can't make the nearsighted assumption that just because he doesn't show up and do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it, and how we want him to do it, that he's somehow no longer sovereign over his house, and that he no longer has control. The story just isn't finished yet. And I think this may be where some of us are right now. We, we look around, and, and we see things that look like they're out of control, We've got a lot of fearful Christians that are running around. We've got a lot of believers who are running around disappointed and scared. Believers who look at the circumstances and somehow conclude that God's no longer in in control. He's no longer sovereign over his house. But listen to me. If sovereignty is what it is, and if God is truly sovereign, then that means he's sovereign over everything. And that he's always sovereign. And so there's never a moment where he's not in control right? He's completely in control of what's going on. The story just isn't finished yet. God is going to use the circumstances as detours to bring us to the right destination. Listen, you don't have to understand the entire process to be able to trust his promises. If he's sovereign, he's sovereign over all things, and so we can trust that what he promises, he's going to bring to fruition. And if he promises to lead us to life, then he's going to lead us to life. It may not be the desired route that we would have chosen, but it's going to lead us to life, and we can trust his promises. Watch God's work here. Mordecai finds out about this, and he's just absolutely wrecked. He's a broken man. He's weeping. He's uh, put himself in sackcloth and ashes, and sackcloth and ashes are, are the sign, the visible sign of just deep, deep despair, just complete brokenness. And Esther looks out the window from time to time, and she sees her cousin out there in, in sackcloth and ashes and says, you've got to put some clothes on. You've got to get out of that stuff, or the king is going to kill you. And, and so she sends clothes. She's like, no, I'm not putting that on because I'm in despair. I'm not going to try to hide this. And you look around, and you, you, you see the whole community of the Jewish population. They're sitting in sackcloth and ashes as well because they're wrecked inside of their provinces. They're in despair. They're confused. They're scared. They're disappointed. And they've got the sackcloth and ashes on too. But I want you to see what happens in their confusion and their disappointment. Scripture says that they fast. (laughs) They they fast in this moment, and they use this time to cry out to God, hoping that something is going to change. They don't know what's going to change and how it's going to change, but they are hoping that God is going to come in and do something on their behalf. And so what Mordecai does is he sends a message to Esther. He says, girl, you've got to do something about this. You can't continue to let this go on. This is what's happening. You've got to step in. You remember I told you not to reveal your true identity? Go in and tell them what's happening. You've got, like, right now, you've got to do something uh, uh, about this. Reveal your ethnicity. This is the time. But she sends a message back to Mordecai. And she says, cousin, like, this has been five years since I got married. 
Like we, we've been married for a while now, and that honeymoon period is over. I haven't seen the king in 30 days. And there's a, there's a law that, that, that's written that says you can't approach the king without being killed unless he's summoned you to come and see him, unless he extends the golden scepter to you. So what you're asking me to do is to put my life on the line. You're asking me to go in and to risk my life right now. Do you understand what you're, you're asking? And, and so that message goes back to Mordecai in Esther 4.14. 4, 14. Here, here's what he says back to her. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. What he's saying is, God put you where you are right now in society, in a culture that is about to be annihilated. Right now, you're exactly where God wanted you to be because he put you there. This is not a mistake. This is not some kind of oversight. God has sovereignly orchestrated this whole thing, and you're where you want because he wants you to be there. The fact that you look like you do, the, the fact that you were selected out of all the ladies, the fact that you found favor in the Lord's eyes, and the fact that you found favor in Xerxes' eyes, the fact that you became queen, the fact that you, a Jew, are now a queen in a Persian-run government, when all this is happening to go down right now, this didn't just happen. Do you see that God's hand is at work here? And so, Esther, you can choose to embrace this moment for what it is. You can stand up and you can take a risky step of faith and let God use you. Yes, it might mean that you are putting your life on the line, but you can take a risky move here. You can see that, that, that God put you here for this moment or you can just wish all these circumstances away. You can bury your head in the sand. You can act like none of this is happening outside of the palace, but don't you mistake this. One way or another, God's will is gonna prevail. God's will is going to be done whether you step in to do it or whether somebody else steps in to do it. God's will is going to be done. And I love her attitude here. Listen to her response in, in verse 16. She says, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, or uh, uh, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I die... I die. I want you to see what she's doing here. She looks around and she says, these circumstances are not what I would desire. I'm in a tough spot here, but I'm not going to waste this opportunity to let God use me. I'm not going to let this just go away. I'm here right now because this is exactly where God has placed me. I'm in this moment for just a time as this. How many of you have asked a question over this last six months or, or thought the question, what, what do I do? Maybe your arms just kind of in the air. Like, what do I do? How do I raise my kids in this society? How, how, how do I continue to go to work in this same society? What on earth is going on around me? And then in the middle of all that, you just kind of felt paralyzed. I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I just really don't. I don't know how to navigate and move forward in a way that is, going to, that is going to help. I don't know how to navigate and move forward in a way that that's not going to hinder what's going on around me. I just don't know how to move forward. I can't see what's going to happen, and it's scaring me to death right, right now. Y'all, we can choose to embrace a moment that doesn't feel ideal to us. We can choose to embrace a moment that feels there's all kinds of questions around it. We can embrace that God has us where we are right now for such a time as this so that we might impact the people around us, so that we might be able to make a difference in the world, so that we might be able to take a bold stand 
for, for, for Christ. Or we can go bury our heads in the sand. We can just wish it all, all away. We can hunker down in fear and just have this poor me mentality that I'm just going to sit here and just watch this thing roll out. Or we can recognize that God has us right where we are and he wants to use us right where we are. Do y'all remember the story of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the book of Daniel? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were told that they were, like, everybody was supposed to bow down to this, this golden image of a king. They're supposed to worship this. And, and they said, no, we're not going to do, we're, we're do that. And, 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 and they said, uh, no, you have to. If you don't, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. And they're like, hey, listen, you can throw us into a fiery furnace if you want to. But I'm telling you, my God, he's going to show up and, he, and he's going to save us. He's going to come in and he's going to do some work. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't show up the way we expect him to, he doesn't give us all the hopes and dreams to save us out of this, even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to you. We're just, we're just not. We're going to take a stand right here. We're just going to take a stand. We can choose to, to make a bold stand or we can just act like nothing's going on around us. Because you are in the moment that you are in right now because God has placed you there. God breathed life into you. He put his spirit inside of you for this moment in 2021, right? You didn't, you didn't live in 1883. You didn't live in 421. You didn't live in 30 AD, right? So stop wishing you lived in a different time. You live exactly when God wanted you to live right now in this time period. Luke says in Acts 17 that God determined the places for you to live. He determined the time in which you would live. He is in control of his house. He is sovereign over his house. And right now, he wants you in his house, living in his house, doing the work in his house in 2021. Esther says, get everybody together. Pray for me. Fast for me for three days. And I'm going to fast too. Then I'm going to go to the king. And, and if I die, I, I die. I love that mentality that she has. That's a scary mentality but I love the mentality that she has. And what she does, she asks the people to come in and, and fast for her, and she's going to fast too. Fasting is willing to, to set aside something, whether it be food or, in our context, social media or coffee or uh, Netflix, or to set aside something that we feel like we can't live without so that we might move forward in understanding God's provision, God's promises, and God's plan for our, will, and, and God's plan for our lives. Fasting is setting aside something to move towards a clearer vision of what God might have for, for us. Uh, this might kill you, but I'm not going to finish the story. I want you to go home and read it, okay? I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. It's going to turn out okay. But I, when you read it, I want you to understand that the, the plan that Esther comes up with could have never happened in and of herself. She could have never come up with this three-tiered plan in order to help save the Jews. It only came in a period of her fasting and a period of, of the people fasting together to see what God's direction is in, in moving forward. And I believe with all of my heart that the only way that we're going to see God moving clearly, the only way that we're going to see what he has for us, the way that we see, to see what he has for our country, the way that we see what he has for our world is going to be for us on our knees, spending our time in prayer, asking, Lord, what is it that you have for us? What is it that you want to change in me? What is it that you want to change in our life? How do you want to transform me? How do you want to be, to be a part of transforming our culture? How do you want to use me in the position that I'm in right now? Don't let me waste it. I believe with all my heart that the Lord is going to do that. But it's only going to happen if we spend time asking him to reveal that to us, 
to spend time asking him to show us that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to enter into a time of fasting. James hinted on it uh, earlier in our, uh, our time of um, announcements, right? In, in our time of announcements. And, and, and so we're going to enter into a time of fasting together. And again, that, that, that could be food, that could be water, that, that could be, um, it could be uh, internet, whatever it is. The thing that you feel like you could set aside for three days. So what we're going to do um, is we're going to start this tomorrow morning. As, as, a, as a family, as a body of believers, as a community of faith who are, who are seeking to see God's will clearly for our lives and for our country and for our world, we want to see a movement of God. And so what we're doing is we're going to just spend time praying together. And so we're going to start it tomorrow morning. We're going to end it on Wednesday evening. Now, here, here's when I, here's when I get, like, don't jump in uh, and, and go to the deep end without knowing what you're diving into, okay? Ashley and I, uh, we did a we did a food fast, first food fast I'd ever did in my life uh, back when we were in college. Um, we were having a missions week in college, and we're like, okay, we're going to fast, we're going to pray. And, and so we're like, okay, we're going we're to fast for the next five days. Never fasted before in my life. And, and, and so we were, we were going strong like two days, like my, my stomach was talking to me like crazy, okay? And so two days in, we go to visit her parents who were in Leavenworth. Love visiting her parents. They had no idea that we were fasting, we didn't tell them or anything. And so we go in, and, and they're cooking Papa Murphy's pizza. Uh, in, in, inside the house. And guys, it is the best smelling pizza that I've ever smelled in my life. There's uh, 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 bacon ranch, ch- chicken bacon ranch pizza, like double crusted and stuff like was going on in there. I look at Ash and I'm like, you think we're going to make it? And, and she's like, I'm going to make it. I don't know about you. And, and I, I said, no, I was like, actually, I think it's time we break this fast right now. And, and like the, the longer the pizza was cooking inside, like I broke, guys, I broke because I wasn't ready to go that, I wasn't ready to go that far, okay? So two days in, I, I broke. But what I'm saying is, I understand what, what, what fasting does, okay? So if you've got food things going on in your life, like, like, like don't give up food. Go, go to, uh, maybe it's social media, or maybe it's coffee or something like that. But ask the Lord, what is it that, that, that you can set aside to intentionally? It's, it's not just to give up something, okay? This is to set aside something momentarily so that you might seek the face of the Lord on your behalf, on our culture's behalf, on our world's behalf, Okay, so we're, we're going to do that. And then on Tuesday, what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time just uh, worshiping together. Like we're all going to come back here. Yeah, you, you're going to come back here. We're going to spend time together on Tuesday evening. We're going to have a full worship band up here. We're going to sing for a while. Um, we're going we're to seek God's face. We're going to worship together. We're going to pray. And, and then we're going to kick off 24 hours of prayer. Uh, so on um, Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, we're going to start 24 hours of prayer, just praying into Wednesday night as, as a group of believers, as a group of people who are seeking the face of God. And we've got 30-minute uh, time slots that you can sign up for. We'd really love to have people praying here. If you can't pray here um, and, and you want to pray from, from home, we can, we can certainly do that. But we would love just to have a stream of people who are coming in and praying specifically for God's will here, God's will in our lives, God's will um, uh, for our community, God's will for our nation. Okay, so we're going to do that, and then uh, we'll, we'll finish that up on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday evening as we end the fast together, too. And so I want to invite you into that and just to know that God has you right where you are, and he wants to use you right where you are for such a time as this. Don't lose heart and be in despair. He's at work. Let's pray. Well, Father... Um, you're sovereign and you're in control and you just keep reminding us that we don't have to to be people of fear we don't have to run and duck our head in the sand although it looks like things are crumbling around us continue to remind us of the truth of who you are and the truth of of who you've made us to be because of your son jesus and the spirit that you put inside of us 
You can give us boldness where we're afraid. You can give us strength where we're weak. You can fill our mouth when we have no knowledge. You, you, you can lead us exactly where you want us to be. Would you help us to use the positions that we're in at work or the position that we're in in our schools and our families or wherever it is or to continually be bold for you, to have the mentality that, that Esther had. Like I'm in a unique space and I'm scared, but I'm not gonna duck my head in the sand. I'm gonna allow you to use me and <laughs> if I die, I die. We're not gonna be insurrectionists. We're not gonna be people who are causing drama, but Lord, we wanna be people of peace. We wanna see you do a mighty movement in the next three days. We want to see you prepare our hearts, change our hearts, transform us from the inside out. We want to see you transform our nation. We want to see you standing in the fire with us. We want to see you moving in ways that maybe we haven't seen in a while. But we are not going to live as people in despair. We're going to live as people who are hopeful to see you work. And so show us that in the next few days, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.